You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. God. When we do the will of God, it should be satisfying to the child of God. Doing the will of God is always satisfying. It's as satisfying as if you sit down to a scrumptious feast, doing the will of God. If we were doing what tears us down instead of what builds us up, we have to question whether it's the Word of God or the will of God. Jesus did not find the Father's work to be burdensome or distasteful. He viewed it as nourishment to his soul. It satisfied him inwardly and it fed him. Have you ever been in a relationship that wasn't fulfilling? Maybe you've loved them a lot, but you didn't receive what you needed from them. So it was lackluster. Pastor Dave reminds us today that a relationship with Jesus is nothing of the sort. If you love the Lord and live out his will, the satisfaction is overwhelming. Now here's Pastor Dave in the book of John chapter 4. As he continues his message, the harvest is ready. He simply spoke to her and loved her and offered her salvation, offered her living water. No one had ever spoke to this woman before like this. No one had ever had compassion on this woman before like this. She was always used by men. She was always abused by her friends. She was an outcast. They thought she was immoral. They wouldn't want nothing to do with her. That's why she went to the well at 12 o'clock in the afternoon, the hottest part of the day. Nobody wanted any part of her. The only thing she could tell others, though, what she had in her heart was what Jesus had done in her life. We underestimate what Christ has done in our lives when we come before people to tell them. He told me the things I did, all the things. She told her story, and then she said, come and see. Come and see for yourself. You decide. Come on. Come and see for yourself. The woman's excitement was contagious. Look at verse 30. Then they went out of the city and came to him. They went out of the city and came to him just because of what the woman said. Now, they could have been curious. They could have been trying to find out, but they were still coming out to see him. Now, in verses 31 through 38, it appears to be an interlude in the story. It seems like all of a sudden it takes a turn, but there's nothing wasted in Scripture. Everything in Scripture is viable, and this is very important to the story. Very important to what we're reading and what we're talking about today. Let's look at verses 31 through 38. In the meantime, his disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. Therefore, the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him anything to eat? And Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this, the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap for that which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labors. I love that. The disciples are thinking physical. 
The disciples are thinking physical. It's like my Italian mother-in-law. Did you eat? Did you eat? You have to eat. You eat? That's what they're asking, they're asking Jesus. Did you eat? Jesus says, I have food you don't even know about. Peter, did you buy him? I didn't get him any food. How about, I didn't get him any food. They're like looking at each other. They're confused. Where did food come from? Jesus is talking spiritually. Disciples are thinking literal food. Jesus is talking a whole spiritual realm. Jesus wasn't concerned about food. He had been nourished by God's word. He had been nourished by talking to the woman. He wasn't concerned about eating. He was speaking about doing the Father's will, talking about leading people to salvation. He was concerned with the upcoming harvest. His focus was on the harvest. His focus was on what was happening. He wasn't concerned about food. Now, I've said this before, and I said this in many, many incidences. And again, I'll pick on my wife because she's not here to defend herself. But she thinks I'm crazy because what happens is you get with the men in retreat or you get into a great Bible study and things are going on and you really get into the Word of God. You're really starting to get meat and the Holy Spirit is moving left and right and you're just getting overwhelmed. The last thing you think about is food because God is nourishing your spirit. God is nourishing your soul and all. He sustains us with His Word. The last thing you want to do is stop and get something to eat. All you want to do is sit there and just receive whatever the Lord is dishing out. It doesn't really matter. And I've had that happen in my life. Jesus was no longer hungry for physical food. He had been refreshed by his spiritual conversation with the woman and the prospect of the town coming to see him. See, the will of God ought to be the source of our strength. The will of God. When we do the will of God, it should be satisfying to the child of God. Doing the will of God is always satisfying. It's as satisfying as if you sit down to a scrumptious feast doing the will of God. If we were doing what tears us down instead of what builds us up, we have to question whether it's the word of God or the will of God. Jesus did not find the Father's work to be burdensome or distasteful. He viewed it as nourishment to his soul. It satisfied him inwardly and it fed him. In Psalm 40, verse 8, I delight to do your will, O oh my God, and your law is within my heart. We should delight to do the word of God. We should delight to do God's will. It's our source of food. Jesus then takes the image of food and he transforms it to the harvest, which is where the food comes from. He takes the image of food. That's what they were focused on. That's what the disciples were fixated on. He says, now look, look, behold, lift up your eyes. Take a look out there. Here comes the harvest. He said, it's white harvest. It's white with harvest. Many believe that it was that way because the men of Samaria wore white turbans. And they believe that all you could see was all these white turbans coming towards you. So Jesus says, look, the fields are white under harvest. I don't know. Maybe it means that it's white hot. The field is so hot, it's ready to go. It's ready to be picked. It's ready to be harvested. It's coming towards us. He points at them. The harvest that Jesus was referring about was the Samaritans, the dreaded Samaritans, the half-breeds, the outcasts, the ones who were disdained by the Jews. I can imagine the disciples standing there when Jesus was saying that, they're looking at each other going, those guys? The harvest is ready. The only thing that's needed is a faithful worker to claim it. God's still looking for faithful workers to claim the harvest today. Today is the true, the fields are ripe with harvests, but it's not for whom we think. Claiming the harvest is not for whom we think. 
The harvest is for the forgotten ones. The forgotten culture, those who are ignored, the ones who we don't want to be around, the people we pass by every day on our way in and out of Wawa, the ones that are ripe for the picking. Every one of us thinks, well, you know, we need to win the quarterback for Christ because he'll make a great representative for Christ. Yeah, he would. We need the rock star to come to Christ. He's the one because whatever he does, you know, people will be drawn to him. Well, that's true. We needed somebody famous to come to Christ. Well, that's also true. But I'll tell you right now, here in Lower Township, we're facing a harvest today. And I'll tell you who it is. It's the outcasts. It's the homeless. It's the addicts. It's the one nobody wants to be around. That's the harvest that's facing us today. That's the harvest that we're going, wait a minute, we don't want any part of this. That's the harvest that's coming to us right now. It's almost like back in the late 60s with the hippie movement. Nobody wanted to be around the dirty hippies with long hair and dirty feet and dirty clothes. Nobody wanted to be around them. See, this is the same thing. Now we have a different culture. It's a culture that's all bent out of shape. They don't fit in society. They don't fit in, in, in what's going on. And they're, they're out there, and, and they're confused because nobody wants them. Nobody wants to come near them. The ones unwanted by society. I'm not diminishing the need for all to be saved. I'm not diminishing that odd. Because it's God's perfect will that all would come to the knowledge of Christ. I'm not diminishing that. But I see a harvest in Lower Township of these type of people, the outcast. It's white with harvest right here in Lower Township. This is where we live. Jesus is sending us to labor and to reap. Just like the Samaritans who were broken people. The Samaritans were despicable in the eyes of the Jews. They were barred from the temple. They wouldn't give access to the Lord. They were barred from any type of worship. We have people right here in our eyes, in our midst, in our area, who are despicable to the eyes of the local government. They've been barred from churches or forced to take a back seat. I believe we are ready for the harvest, and they're ready to be picked. I believe they're ready for the word of God. The harvest is ready. I say, let's go get it. I say, let's go move and get the harvest. We've given you opportunity after opportunity to show the love of Christ. We had a funeral. And we went into a church that was filled with people, most of them unsaved, and we had a chance to witness Christ to these people. Witness Christ. We're going to be at the campground, witnessing the people from all over the nation, from Canada, from all sorts of states who are there, just playing music and being there, talking with them. What did Jesus do with the woman? He struck up a conversation. Hey, how you doing? What's going on? Some people can't even get a hello. Some people walk by and you're so disdained with that person that you can't even give them a hello. You can't even say hello to them. These are the people that Christ is pushing us towards. Even Jesus said, he who reaps presently will receive wages eternally. There are wages that we can receive eternally, but that's not the point. We want to see people come to Christ. Unfortunately, there are many who don't care about that. You know, I've got way too much to accomplish. I got way too many things to do. I, I have too many problems in my life. And you know what? Heaven is so far away. I don't know if I can be involved in this harvest thing. If that is where your energy is, if that's what you're living for, if that's the source of your excitement, I can guarantee you're going to become exhausted. And you're not going to be able to fulfill your pursuits. But you say, oh, it's tough to witness. Yeah, what did Jesus do? He attracted their hearts, he aroused their mind, he awakened their consciousness, and he assured their soul. He simply started by having a conversation. He didn't drive all over town because that's what they wanted to. He didn't give them money and throw money at them. He didn't provide clothing or shelter. No, he told them the truth about salvation. 
Yes, I do believe that there is a need. Yes, I do believe that the church should meet the needs of the people. I believe that. But what is the church's responsibility? The church's responsibility is to see people come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's the church's responsibility. And then to nurture them and have them grow up so that they can go out and bring people to Christ. That's the church's responsibility. Yes, we meet needs of other people. Yes, we help clothe the poor. Yes, we help feed. Yes, we will give money when it's needed on a base-by-base thing. Yes, we do those things. Yes, we give rides if we can. But the main thing of the church is to get people to know Jesus Christ. We need to say, come and see. Come and see this guy who told me everything I ever did. Come and see. Come and let me introduce you to Jesus. And then let them figure out for themselves. Because you can't be saved for them. They have to sit before the Lord and be saved themselves. Jesus was telling his disciples, shift your focus. God's work is more important than food alone. There's nothing more important than the work God wants it to do. And I can tell you from a first-hand point of view, there is nothing more satisfying than doing God's will, doing God's work. Nothing more satisfying. Nothing. As we come to the final verses today, verse 39 through 42, And many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his own word. Then they said to the woman, Now we believe not because of what you had said, for we ourselves have heard him, and we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. See, she brought him to Christ. They heard for themselves and they believed. They believed. They believed. This was the result of the woman's excitement. It was contagious to them. Many came to know the Lord. Now let's take a close look at this woman. Let's look at this woman's credentials, shall we? Who does she think she is to go witness for Christ? I mean, after all, she doesn't have a Bible degree. Who does this lady think she is? She's immoral, probably untrained, uneducated, doesn't go to church. Who the heck does she think she is? I can tell you who she is. She's one loved by God. And she's a child of God. Because in Acts 4.13, Peter and John are standing before the Sanhedrin. And the Sanhedrin are lamb-blasting him for what they did at the gate beautiful when they raised the man up and said, I don't have silver or gold, but in the name of Jesus, stand up and walk. And they're lamb-blasting Peter and John about preaching in the name of Jesus. And they couldn't decide what to do with him. They couldn't decide what they should do with them. And one of them says, wait a minute, what do we know about them? Well, they're untrained. They're uneducated. And one guy says, yeah, but they've been with Jesus. Oh, oh, they had all the credentials they needed, didn't they? So did this woman. She had all the credentials she needed. She didn't have to have a lot of big words behind her name. She didn't have to have a lot of letters with periods and all that kind of stuff. I'm not putting down Christian education. I'm not putting down Christian college. I'm not putting down Bible college. I think it has a purpose and it's important. I'm just saying, this woman went and did exactly what she was supposed to do. She had a story to tell, and she told what Jesus did to her, and then she said, come and see. What's interesting here, that many believe because of the woman's testimony, but yet many more believe when they heard Jesus for himself. See, God wants to use your story. 
He wants to use your story. If you've come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, he wants to use your story in the hearts of somebody else. It may be the most unlikeliest person you've ever met in your entire life, but God wants to use your story. I told you on Wednesday night, God is going to do a mighty work with his church in Lower Township. He wants to reach people, and he's building an army. He's building an army right here to reach people for him. Jesus attracted people to him. He aroused their mind. He awakened their consciousness, and he assured their souls, get people to see Jesus, get people to know Jesus. The disciples would find this lesson extremely valuable because in Acts 8, a great revival happens where? Samaria. And many, many, many people are being saved. They realize, just like we have to realize, that they are not alone in the work of God. And let me say this loud and clear. I've said it before. It is not a competition. It is not a competition. I told first service, we're not going to give out belts to everyone and give you a little knife. So every time you get somebody saved, you can put a little notch on your belt and walk around. Then we're going to have a belt-looking contest. Show me your belt. Oh, man, you got four. Show me yours. What? None? Come on. No. It's not what it's about. See, it's the principle of sowing and reaping. It's the principle of sowing and reaping, sowing seeds. We get disappointed when we can't lead somebody to Christ just like that. We think there's something wrong with us. Oh, Lord, I failed. They didn't accept me. Maybe it wasn't your turn to have someone do that. But maybe the next person who sees them, they'll accept. You get to garner in that. You get to partake in that. That's part of yours. We must never look at a chance to witness for Christ as wasted time or energy. We have to plant regardless of the results. Someone else will come along and reap. But we need to plant. Scripture is full of references where God has promised a great harvest. Sowing, cultivating, and harvesting are difficult tasks, not only in the physical, but in the spiritual realm as well. When you try to witness, there are always attacks from the spiritual realm. There is no place for lazy people in the army of God. It's not something that you sit back and go, oh, somebody else could do it. God wants to use you. He wants to use you. You And I told this story before during first service. It's not about numbers. It isn't about numbers. When we went down to um, New Orleans after Katrina, I went with a group of teen, the, the Bob Lambert, the pastor who started this church back in uh, the 2000. Um, we went down to New Orleans, and we were part of Billy Graham rapid response team. Went down and administered the people who were caught in Katrina. This was a couple weeks after the Katrina thing. And it was part of Billy Graham. And, you know, Billy Graham has a pretty good name. And you're guided and led by his people. And the first day, we went out. And we talked to, oh, my gosh, we had to write down everybody we talked to. We had to write down everybody who made a decision for Christ. We had to write down everything we did. And we ended up talking amongst the four of us to oh, close to 500 people that day, prayed with them, gave them Bibles, cried with them, went through their dirty, disgusting houses that had been torn down by a hurricane. It was heart-wrenching. So we get back, and the first thing we do when we get back is we have a debrief. We all sit around, and we talk about the day and what happened, because you can't carry that stuff a lot. You've got to let it go. You've got to get rid of it. And he said, let me see your paper. And he took his paper, and I kind of got a little weary, like, uh-oh, this is Billy Graham. And the first thing he did is says, he looked at it, and he went, you mean to tell me you guys talked to over 500 people and there was not one, one salvation? 
We said, well, no, but we prayed with a lot. He said, yeah, that's the way it goes. I was so relieved. <laughs> I was so relieved. I was so relieved because I thought I was going to get you. No. But they understand. Just sharing the gospel. Now, as the week went on, praise God, we saw salvations. We were partakers and we saw salvations. We partook of somebody else's labor. We got to see God glorified and got to see salvations. But the pressure was off when I think, oh, man, we don't have to do it. The pressure was off you. Remember, God gives the increase. Salvation is up to God and God alone. Not up to you who gets saved. It was up to us. Well, that's a different story. God gives the increase. Let me close with this. There are hungry souls right here in Lower Township. Hungry souls. Thirsty souls for living water. Hungry souls for the word of God. There are people who desperately need Jesus Christ in our midst. Desperately need Christ in our midst. And woe be to us. What did Paul say? Woe to me if I don't preach the gospel of Christ. Woe to me if I don't speak about the cross. Woe to me if I don't do it. Well, woe to us if we don't either. Many of you, many of you, I've been in prayer circles with many of you, and you all want to pray for this great revival. Where do you think a revival begins? It begins right here in my heart. And then it spreads to this heart and that heart. Revival can begin right here in this little church and spread throughout this entire area. Don't wait for someone else to start the revival. You be the starter. You be the one. You can witness anywhere you go. We had two ladies go to visit someone in the hospital at Cape Regional just last Thursday. And as they were talking to each other and praying for the, the lady who was there, the nurse walked in. And the next thing you know, someone says, do you know Jesus? And the nurse said, well, I kind of do. Well, wait a minute. No, you can't kind of know him. You have to know him. And it was, do you want to know Jesus? And she said, yeah. And guess what? They prayed for her right there, and she received Jesus Christ. They were there. They were there. They introduced her to Christ right there in the hospital room. God is everywhere we are. Yeah, it's great to have them come to church, and it's great for them to be born again here and be, be saved here. That's great. That's wonderful. But you don't have to wait. God has given you the gift. He's placed the Holy Spirit in you. If you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit, he's given you the chance to be a witness. He's given you the ability, the boldness. So what's your story? What's your story? What can you tell someone that God has done in your life or Jesus has done in your life? Maybe he's taken you from an addiction or maybe he's taken you out of a bad relationship or maybe he's delivered you from whatever. We all have a story to tell and it's important that we tell our story to others so that they could listen. What are you excited about? Are you excited about Jesus? Do you want to tell people about Jesus? Is this your will that you really want to tell people about Jesus? I get so crazy over on the Wildwood Boardwalk. Every time I walk over there, I just want to run around and shake people. Don't you know Christ is coming? I know that's not really what you're supposed to do, but you just, you, it's just, wow. You want people to receive Christ so badly, you know, but you can't force them. We can't shove it down our throat. All you got to do is plant those seeds and let somebody else reap. Be a partaker. People are anxious to hear about it. People are waiting to hear about it, and they need you to tell them. Amen? The book of John covers Jesus' life and ministry here on earth, but the book begins long before Jesus was born in a manger. He existed with God the Father from the start, 
So many other religions have some figure they look to or commemorate, but none of those mere men accomplished what Jesus did. Jesus came as a man and died, but then he came back to life because he's God. No other man can claim that remarkable feat. Only God could do this, and therefore, the only true one to follow is Jesus. What might be holding you back today in believing all that God says he is and does? If you have some questions you'd like answered, we'd be happy to try and answer these questions or pray with you about what's weighing on your heart. Please don't hesitate to call us at 609-884-5821. Again, that number is 609 609- 884-5821. Keep looking to scripture for answers and know that we care about the journey you're on. We're so glad you tuned in to A Sure Hope today. You can hear more messages like this one from Pastor Dave at our website. Just click on the messages tab when you visit assurehoperadio.com. We'd love to meet you too. Find out how you can join us for worship at Calvary Chapel Cape May by visiting assurehoperadio.com. You'll also find us on Facebook and YouTube. Links for both are at assurehoperadio.com. There's more to learn from the book of John next time, so be sure to join us again on another edition of A Sure Hope.